Well, good morning and happy Easter, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I want to welcome all of you here, whether you're in the building or you're watching online. You know, for the church, there is no bigger day than Easter. This is the day when we celebrate the fact that Jesus was dead, truly dead, and now he's alive. Jesus is risen. And that's the reason for our hope, and this morning we're going to spend some time in God's Word, and we're going to see why this day is so important. But before we get to that, I just have to say a word about our week of serving. It's great to see that video and, and see all of you out there making a difference in the name of Jesus. And I want to thank all of you who jumped in to serve. There were hundreds of you. And uh, I tried to make a list of all the different projects, and and I'm pretty sure I don't even know everything that happened. Uh, But again, thank you. I also need to thank Jared Perkins, who was the staff person who pulled this together, and he did an amazing job. Uh, And the goal of this, it was not to bring attention to ourselves, Uh, it, it was just to point people to Jesus to follow his example, to serve, because he came not to be served, but to serve. It's a great thing when the church comes together to to share God's love in a practical way. And this is another one of those times when I'm so thankful to be a part of Plum Creek. I'm thankful for what happened this week, uh, but I'm also thankful for what's to come. Uh, I just want to tell you just a couple things that are coming soon. Uh, Here in a few weeks, We have a men's event happening Saturday, May 14th. Uh, The plan is to eat meat, shoot guns, and talk about Jesus. That's going to be a good time. And then the following Saturday, May 21st, we have a women's event called the If Gathering. We've hosted this conference for several years, and I've never been myself for obvious reasons, but I've heard that that's a powerful day. Then in the middle of June, we're bringing back the all-star camp for elementary kids. Uh, It's been several years since that happened. And then at the end of June, Sunday morning, June 26th, we're closing this building and we're going to hold our worship service outside at AJ Jolly Park. And we're inviting the whole community. And hey, if you're visiting with us today, we invite you to join us for any of these things. But we need to get to the reason that we're here today. Jesus is risen. That's where our hope comes from. This is the last week in a series of sermons called King of All Kings. And right now we're focusing on the core of the gospel message. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that nothing is more important than these two events. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to a group of Christians. And he says... I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. So these two events are the foundation for the hope that we have in Christ. The crucifixion and the resurrection. Last Sunday, we focused on the cross on the death of Jesus. And when he sacrificed his life, he made it possible for us to have eternal life. And obviously, that's huge. But the resurrection is also huge. Because if Jesus never rose from the dead, the crucifixion, it doesn't matter. 
If the tomb wasn't empty, the cross is irrelevant. And that, that may sound extreme, but it's true. We need to look at what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus. And as we do that, we need to answer a few questions. First, why should we believe that the resurrection actually happened? You know, lots of people don't believe that it happened. Maybe some of us here today. And if you are someone who really wrestles with doubt or you don't believe at all, I want to say, we're glad you're here. Doubters are welcome at Plum Creek, and I hope we'll be able to help you work through some of your questions. But there's another question we need to answer this morning. Why should we care that Jesus rose from the dead? Because even if the resurrection did happen, that's 2,000 years ago. So why? Why do we care? This is a legitimate question. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had kind of a pseudo-resurrection at our house. Sounds crazy, but here's the story. Uh, my son Luke has a small aquarium in his room. I've actually talked about it up here before. But one of the residents of that aquarium is a snail named Appleton. And before we got this aquarium, I had no love for snails whatsoever. But I got to tell you, this guy's pretty cool. He slowly makes his way around the aquarium, just sliding over the rocks and the gravel or climbing up the glass walls. And everywhere he goes, he's eating algae. He cleans up the tank. How cool is that to have a pet that cleans up after itself? But anyway, here's the story. Uh, one day, I was home for lunch, and I, I stopped by to look in the tank, and I couldn't see Appleton. It was a little weird, but I was in a hurry, so I, I left, and, and I decided to check back later. But it wasn't until the middle of the next day that I looked back at the aquarium, and I still didn't see Appleton. And that was really strange, because he's a fairly large snail. He's got nowhere to hide. But then it really wasn't until that evening that I did a thorough search. And lo and behold, I found him. He had climbed up through a little gap in the top of the aquarium, and he had fallen behind my son's desk. Now, at this point, he had been down there for about 30 hours. I was 99.9% .9 sure that he was dead because snails can't survive outside the tank if, if they dry up. So I, I called in my wife, Hannah, and she agreed with me. Appleton was done. We started talking about how to dispose of the little guy, but then I thought, you know what? Let's just drop him back in the tank and see what happens. Well, he dropped like a rock. <laughs> Nothing happened. And I went downstairs. I had looked for a little while, but I gave up. But Hannah stayed there. She was watching. And a little later, she just yelled, come up, come upstairs. And we went in there and looked, and sure enough, one antenna had started to move. Then the second antenna started to move. And eventually, he climbed out of his shell. And sure enough, our snail was alive again. And we were yelling and jumping and celebrating. It really did seem like a miracle. may sound ridiculous to you, but we were very excited about that. But here's my point. I know that Appleton was not truly dead, but let's say that he was. 
let's say that we had a true snail resurrection at our house. And let's say I told you about it, and you actually believed it. If that happened, would that fact change your life in any way? I don't believe it would, would it? I can't see you saying, you know, my, my life was looking pretty grim, but then I heard about that snail. Appleton is alive, and, and, and now I know everything's going to be all right. You wouldn't say that. And so let's bring this back around to Jesus. Even if Jesus rose from the dead, why does that change anything for us? That's a question we need to answer. But we can't start there. We need to start with the first question. What reasons do we have to believe that this really happened in the first place? Well, let's look at what the Bible claims to have happened. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. Now, Luke 23 tells the story of the crucifixion. We, We read through a lot of that last week. But at the beginning of Luke 24, Jesus has been dead since Friday. And it's now Sunday, the third day. So let's read Luke 24, starting with verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? He said that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then... They remembered what he, that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. So there you go. The resurrection story, Easter. It's a powerful story. And for many of us, it's a familiar story. But let's shake off that familiarity for a second. Let's say that a friend of yours comes up to you tomorrow and tells you a similar story. What if your friend says, listen, I was just at a cemetery, I went to go visit my Uncle Joe's grave, and these two angels showed up, and they said, Uncle Joe is alive again. And so I came back to tell you. Now, would you believe that story? Seriously. I think most likely, you're thinking that your friend is kidding, or lying, or hallucinating. I I think it would be hard to convince you that this story was true. So let's take an honest look here. Why should we believe that the resurrection is a true historical event? Well, for those of us who believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God, it's pretty simple. We do believe this here at Plum Creek, and we take Scripture at face value. But not everyone does that. So what if you're not convinced that the Bible is true? Well, first of all, don't expect the kind of evidence that would remove all doubt and all questions, because it does take faith to believe in Jesus. However, 
God doesn't expect us to have a blind faith. He gives us good reasons to believe what the Bible says about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at a few of those reasons. First, uh, we'll, we'll start by looking outside the Bible. This week, I uh, came across nine ancient historians and writers who were not Christians, but they wrote about Jesus shortly after his time on earth. Uh, One of them was a man named Tacitus. He's one of the most highly regarded Roman historians of the first century. And Tacitus wrote about a man called the Christ. He said, this Christ was executed under a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. That's pretty cool because it agrees completely with the gospel accounts. Then there's a different man named Thallus. He's a first century Greek historian. He wrote a history of the Mediterranean world, three volumes. And Thallus described a strange event. He said, there was a certain year around the time of Passover when darkness took over the sky during the daytime. Now, that's very interesting because the Gospels say that did happen during the crucifixion. Now, along with Thallus and Tacitus, we could also look at Pliny the Younger, Josephus, Suetonius, and many others. These are non-Christian sources. Many of them are hostile to Christianity, but they still describe Jesus in a way that agrees with the Bible, including the fact that early Christians claimed that Jesus was rose from the dead. Now, if, uh, if I were a skeptic, I'd find that evidence intriguing, but I would still need more than that. So let's look at this from another angle. When you are trying to figure out if Jesus truly rose from the dead, you're going to have to deal with four commonly accepted historical facts. These are facts that most scholars agree about. Fact number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Even critical scholars, by and large, believe this is true. Uh, They agree that Jesus Christ was a real person and he died a real death. He didn't just pass out temporarily. He wasn't like our snail, Appleton. He, He was dead. So that's fact number one. Number two is this. On the first Easter, on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Now, in this case, not all scholars agree, but a strong majority do accept this statement as true. And we should notice, uh, among those who deny it, a lot of them are doubters with a personal bias. Now, at any rate, there is overwhelming agreement in, in these first two facts. Jesus died by crucifixion, and the tomb was empty. But you might say, well, so what? Maybe someone just stole the body or moved it. Uh, well, if, if that's where you're coming from, you still have to deal with fact number three, which is many witnesses, both friends and foes, gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. There were literally hundreds of witnesses. Paul talks about this back in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that uh, when after Jesus rose from the dead... He was seen by Peter, the apostle, and then by the twelve. 
After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I, Paul, also saw him. So do you see what Paul just did? This is, this is like someone today who writes a research paper and, and puts in footnotes. It's kind of what he's doing. Uh, he, he's, he's saying, many of these eyewitnesses are still alive. So if you have any doubts about this, you can go talk to any of them. There are hundreds, and they'd be glad to tell you their story. So that is helpful. But here's what's most compelling to me. It's the last commonly accepted fact that we'll look at. Number four, many of these witnesses were ready and willing to die for their faith in Jesus as risen Lord. Look at the 12 apostles. Now, when I say 12 here, I'm I'm including Matthias, who uh, replaced Judas Iscariot. But anyway, as far as we can tell, these 12 apostles Most of them died for their faith in Jesus. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword by order of Herod, King Herod. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say what happened to many of those other apostles, but we do have reports from church history and tradition, and according to those accounts, Matthew was also killed by a sword. Bartholomew was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Thomas was stabbed with a spear while he was on a missionary trip to modern-day India. This is Thomas who had been the doubter. Then Simon Peter was sentenced to be crucified, but he didn't believe that he was worthy to die in the same way as Jesus. So the Romans allowed him to be crucified upside down. I could keep going down the list, but as far as we know, every apostle except for John died as a martyr, never denying their Savior Jesus, never denying the truth of the resurrection. Now, if they had all been lying, I don't think they would have been willing to die for that lie. But these guys said, sure, go ahead, kill me. I will never deny that Jesus rose from the dead because I've seen it. I saw that he defeated death. So I'm going to choose him over you every time. Now, when I think about that and I put that fact alongside all of the other evidence, it makes sense to me that Christ has died and Christ is risen. So that's a short answer for question number one. And obviously, you could go a lot deeper into this. But let's move to question two. If the story is true, why does it matter? Why care that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, to put it simply, the resurrection is important because the truth of Christianity hinges on this event. The Apostle Paul said, once again, in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. If the resurrection didn't happen, we have no reason to believe what Jesus said and what he taught. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. 
He, he said in Luke chapter 9, well before the crucifixion, he said, I will suffer and die, but on the third day, I will be raised to life. Now, if you're going to make big claims like that, you've got to be able to back them up. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the first Easter. He rose from the grave and proved without a shadow of a doubt that he wasn't just talk. Jesus is the king of all kings, and we can believe everything that he taught. For the past few months, uh, we've been looking at what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And this is a big deal. The kingdom of God was the main theme of all his teaching. And this is also the, the theme here at Plum Creek in 2022. Uh, We're calling this the year of the kingdom. And we're using a a basic definition of that phrase. The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. Now, it's clear as you look around the world, there are many people who do not acknowledge God as king. They're not letting him rule in their hearts. And that actually began way back when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And it's continued throughout history. Every human being has chosen to sin against God and reject Him as King. And our sin has left a wake of brokenness and pain and death. Worst of all, our sin severed our relationship with God. That was the bad news. But the good news is, God didn't want to leave it that way. Because He loved God this world. He loves each one of us so much. And Jesus came into this world with a mission. He announced the coming of a new kingdom, and he made it possible for us to become citizens in the kingdom of God. And he did that by sacrificing his life willingly on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So now we have the opportunity to surrender to Jesus Allow Him to be our King and receive forgiveness and salvation to become citizens of His kingdom. Now, in in one sense, the kingdom of God is already here in this world because it shows up in the hearts and the lives of everyone who follows Jesus. But in another sense, the kingdom of God is still yet to come because one day Jesus will return. And when that happens, God will establish the final perfected form of his kingdom. And that's going to be a great day because God will destroy every one of his enemies. Sin and Satan and death itself will all be destroyed. That final version of God's kingdom will last for eternity. However, if the resurrection didn't happen... We have no reason to believe what Jesus taught about the kingdom. We have no reason to believe what the Bible says. But if he did walk out of that grave, that changes everything. And we have every reason to care. This news will change your life. And that leads us to one final question that we need to answer. How does this work? How can the resurrection make a difference in my life? And the Bible has a lot to say about this, too. On top of the big claim that Jesus rose from the dead, God's Word also makes two more big claims. Here's the first one. Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life here and now. 
Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And when he uses the word they, he's talking about all of us. This applies to everyone. He wants us to have a full and abundant life here and now. So that's one major claim. But here's another one. Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life for eternity. This is a promise that Jesus made in John chapter 11. Right after his friend Lazarus died, Jesus was comforting Lazarus' sister, Martha, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And this is huge isn't it? Jesus says that our lives don't have to end in death. He promises that he is willing and able to extend his resurrection power to each one of us, that we will be able to rise again and spend eternity with him in heaven. Like I said, I have found reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But I have also found reasons to believe that Jesus will give us new life. I'm not saying that he will take away all of your problems. I'm not saying that he will make you rich or famous or that he'll give you every little thing your heart desires. But I am saying that wherever there is hopelessness, Jesus can bring hope. And wherever there is brokenness, Jesus can bring wholeness and restoration. And wherever there is death and darkness, Jesus can bring life and light. I believe that because I've seen it. I know so many people who would say, my life used to be a complete mess, but then I encountered Jesus, and now I am a new person with a new hope. Many of the names I would mention are people in this room right now. I can look around and see you. You might be sitting next to one of them. The Bible says that Jesus will do this for any of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Uh, this goes back to our mission statement here at Plum Creek. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You see, a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't make you a slightly better person. He makes you a completely new person. You're a new creation. You're forgiven of your sins. You're freed from your past. It's a whole new life. And the truth is, that's what we all need. We need that new life. We need to be connected to that resurrection power. Now, Jesus offers this relationship to anyone and everyone, but we don't have it automatically. It is a gift, but we do have to receive that gift. And the Bible tells us that we begin this relationship by faith. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you not only believe in Him, you also put your life in His hands. You, you make Him your Lord, your Master, and your King. You turn away from your old life. You turn away from everything that's not what He wants. And you're also baptized or immersed into Christ. That's when you're buried in water and you mark the end of that old life and the beginning of the new life. 
And then from that point on, you spend the rest of your life letting Jesus lead you, guide you, direct you. And you don't do that perfectly. We all need grace. But you do make Jesus your king and you come back and do that again and again and again. And I got to tell you, when you have this life-changing relationship with Jesus, it's not the same thing as just going to church. It truly is a new life with a new hope. I want to give you an example of that. Exactly one week ago today, a woman named Jody Schmidt passed away. Last Sunday. Now, Jody was not a part of Plum Creek, but she does have family here. Her parents, Paul and Christine Schmidt, and her sister, Debbie Lanning. Now, Jody went to Grace Fellowship Church, but a few months ago, she shared her testimony at the Bridge Church up in Alexandria, and the Bridge put her testimony online, and that's where I got to see it. So I, I called up Vince, the, the lead pastor at the Bridge, and I asked if he would be okay with sharing that video so I could share it with you, and he was glad to do that. So let's take a minute and let's listen to Jody as she describes the difference that Jesus made in her life. Hi, my name is Jody. I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about my story, which is actually God's story. He has been so amazing and instrumental in my life. I can't even describe it to you. So eight years, eight months ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. The breast cancer that there's no cure from, it's metastatic, I am terminal. They gave me three years to live. I am at eight years and eight months. God brought me to this place. God brought me on this journey. I was born for this time because he has delivered me he has taught me, he has inspired me, he has done everything in the world to prepare me for this moment, for me to tell you about him. I have lived my whole life knowing that there was a God, but not loving God. I knew that Jesus loved me. We are taught to love Jesus, but it wasn't until a friend's little sister was killed in a car accident that I realized the mortality of life. And that threw me off an edge where I was struggling, where I was trying to figure out what the meaning of life was. I started in the helping profession, becoming a social worker. I worship by playing music and basically spent my life trying to serve that way. But only by serving with your heart pointed at Jesus is how you get anything done. In my 20s, I asked Jesus to enter my heart. Then my life changed. My focus changed, my priorities changed. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I wasn't upset. I wasn't upset at all. The first five words out of my mouth were, I hate the color pink. The next words out of my mouth were, Lord, if this is what you have for me, then I will do it with my whole heart, as long as you get the glory. My suffering, does not compare to Jesus' suffering, and I will take it. And I have done it every day as I best I could with joy, with peace, with patience. I had great relationships with my nurses, my doctors, because I wanted them to see Christ in me. I didn't want them to see a cancer patient. I wanted them to see Jesus. And I do believe that God honored that. My doctor and I had a conversation I had a horrible incident that landed me in the hospital. And when the doctor and I had a conversation about my prognosis, 
and the fact that even after it had just been treated four weeks prior, the cancer had doubled in size. And I said, I rescue dogs, and I have conversations with my vet about quality of life, and I wanted to have a conversation about quality of life for me. And that is why I chose to go home. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. I am so excited. I have had no pain. I have had pain for eight years. I have had no pain since that decision was made. I will be serving him continually. And for you, there is no greater joy than loving Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, for those of you who don't know him, let my life be an example. I <laughs> can do all things through him. When I was diagnosed, I believed that there was gonna be a purpose for it. I didn't think it was random. I felt like that it was something that God had allowed to happen because he knew that I would be able to take on the task, the suffering, that I was born to serve him, that I was born like Simeon. There's a story in the New Testament around the time of Jesus' birth, a man named Simeon was waiting because he knew that God was going to reveal to him his salvation through a child. And Simeon waited, and once he had seen the baby Jesus, he knew that God had revealed that to him. Simeon said, I know the salvation of the Lord, and he could go in peace. I know the salvation of my Lord, and I can go in peace. Those of you who don't know him, I just implore you. I know that God put me here for this moment, for this moment to tell you that you need a loving savior. So for my friends and my family who don't know him, I need you. I need you to really consider your heart and the Lord. And for those of you who love him, I'll see you later. That really got me. I love the passion in her voice when she says, I cannot tell you how excited I am to go home. That's the difference the resurrection makes. You can have faith as you stare in the face of death instead of having fear or, or just saying, I, I don't know what's beyond this. Because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, we can have new life, new hope for now and for eternity. This past year has been tough at Plum Creek. There's been a lot of grief in our church family. Just this week, we lost Marty McClanahan, who was a good friend to many of us. But we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. And I believe, Jody, when you said, for those of you who love Jesus, I'll see you again. If you belong to Jesus, man, hold on to that. But if you're here today and you came just because you're saying, yeah, sure, I can do church one day. Maybe you're here just to make somebody happy. I encourage you to pay attention to her words. Jody was here in this world eight, eight days ago, and now she's spending her first Easter at home with Jesus. And I know she and everyone who loves you want you to be there. 
So I hope that you'll find the truth that many of us have found. It's real. Jesus is risen. There's a lot of evidence that you can look at. We have a reason to celebrate. Many of us here have chosen to stake our lives on this truth. We're staking eternity on this truth. And my prayer is that all of us will do the same thing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that this life is not meaningless. Thank you that you give us meaning and you give us hope if we're willing to receive it. You want us to be with you for eternity, even though we've all messed up. But Jesus paid the price with his blood. That proves your love for us. So Lord, I pray that each one of us, everyone who can hear me right now, that we will respond by accepting that gift, holding on to that promise of new life and new hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.